The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace, and with me today is Tom Wilson, who's the Chief Risk Officer for Allianz. We've been talking in the last couple of sessions about expert leaders learning to acquire additional skills that make them more generalist by nature, and in particular things about gaining followership when you don't necessarily have all the answers or when you have to make decisions without all the information in front of you. Tom is in many ways the ultimate expert leader. He's got a great view on what it takes to be an expert leader as well as the mistakes that experts make. But before I introduce Tom, let me give you a little bit about his background. He is from the Allianz Group as the Chief Risk Officer. He's had a lot of experience in risk over many, many uh, years in a variety of companies. He's the the upcoming author of a book called Value in Capital Management, a handbook for professional and financial risk functions coming out in July. And furthermore, he has a PhD in economics from Stanford University. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Wanda. It was a, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I want to thank you up front just for allowing me to contribute today. I have, very, I have a very strong uh, belief that people leadership and uh, development is critical for the success of any function, but also especially for technically oriented functions where uh, the challenges can be greater. Okay, fabulous. All right, so Tom, in some ways, I describe you as the ultimate expert. Um, as chief risk officer and given your background and reputation, I'm assuming that you could do absolutely every job of everybody on your team if you wanted to. And just to make it clear, you have a team that highly values your perspective and the issues that they're managing. Now, your team is managing teams and in many cases, managing managers. So starting from that point of view, what do you see people who are expert leaders? What are the mistakes that they make along the way? I think that's a, a very interesting question. I, 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 I guess I want to start by saying that in general, there, there are probably no mistakes. It's more the wrong person in the right role. And I, and I want to just take a second to explain that. Uh, experts are a little bit like Olympic swimmers in, for example, the 100-meter freestyle. They train daily to be the best at tackling their, their very tough and challenging issues, their analysis, and their conclusions. And some of these will reach the final heat in a competition, and one will ultimately take the gold. Uh, if you have somebody that is that technically competent, that skilled and experienced and has practiced that hard for that particular event, 
and you put them in that event, it's not likely that you're going to get a mistake. Why? Because the, the expectations of the swimmer, the swimmer's finely honed skills and the race are all perfectly aligned. However, at some point in time, I have asked world-class competitors to enter a different race, or just as often they have asked me for a new challenge, something that broadens their perspective. Unfortunately, success in the new race is not always guaranteed by success in what they're used to, the 100-meter freestyle. I guess the point that I would make is that uh, oftentimes mistakes in expert leadership don't reflect actual mistakes. They reflect a failure to put the right person in the right job. It has, this distinction has an important implication, and that is that it implies both the expert and the person who put them in the race are mutually responsible. In other words, I as a manager am also responsible and need to take responsibility to either help the individual to grow and adapt into that new role, if, or if this is not possible, to make sure that I can find an appropriate role for that person. So it's, Mistakes are a, mis- a mismatch between expectations and better aligning those expectations, I think, are critical. And I have to, as a leader, I have to play a role in doing that. Now, so I like, I'm going to just pause for a second. I like your analogy that an expert is well-trained for a particular job in a particular way. And that we get in trouble when we ask people to take those skills and apply them in a different race. Also, the notion that the manager is equally responsible. Interesting analogy. Yeah, I, I honestly believe that. Now, there are, there are experts that can make the transition from expert to expert leader, uh, and there are others that can't, just as there are general, uh, generalists that can make the uh, transition from generalist to generalist leader or not. If I think back in terms of what, where... <laughs> quote, the mistakes or where the symptoms of a mismatch typically arise, it's in three areas. It's in communication, leadership, and strategic breath, broadly speaking. Okay. All right, let's take this notion of the strategic breath. What do you mean by that, first off? And then give us an example of the sort of the kind of mismatches you see on strategic breath. Okay. I, uh, um, I think... Strategic breadth is important as one if one hopes to surpass the a uh, an expert a purely expert role into a more partnership in a management team and leadership uh, of experts. I think one has to have a broader strategic perspective, and the reason why I believe that is I believe that. An expert leader needs not only to bring leadership capabilities to the table, but more importantly, the ability to define the appropriate problem. Most experts are a little bit like Pavlov's dogs. They are rewarded for coming up with good and logical conclusions on problems which are given to them. I think an expert leader the highest value added they can do is not diving down into the details and generating the analysis for a particular problem, but rather phrasing the question, identifying the issue and phrasing the, the question that is worth analyzing. In order to do that, that takes a breadth of knowledge. 
So if you are to marshal the skills of a highly technical team, if you are to direct those skills at an appropriate issue, you need to have the wherewithal and the strategic breadth in order to identify where those skills can best be applied uh, for the benefit of the company. And that is more of an understanding of what is the question as opposed to how do I get to the answer. And that's where I think a lot of times the strategic breath fails. It's not that uh, they're not go- that experts are not good necessarily at solving problems that are given to them, but an expert leader has to, in addition to being a great leader, they also have to be able to define how they're going to use those resources, those technical resources, uh, by defining the right problem for the company. So, all right, I like this notion that the expert leader's job is to take all that you know as a leader to frame the problem, to frame the question so that then people around you can get it answered in a good way. And how do you go about developing that in people? Well, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, let me just step back a second. Oftentimes, what I see as a, a, a common a common issue for expert leaders uh, in their leadership role, especially with regards to strategy. Uh, there's an old metaphor that says that uh, to a, a person with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, to a technical risk expert, everything looks like a risk. Uh, now, I've made my career out of risk and technical analysis to support decisions. And I, I really believe that risk management is critically important to financial institutions. But I also recognize that getting, that getting occasionally focusing on top-line growth or expense ratios and getting those under control may be equally, if not more important at different points in time. I also know that risk, although it sounds bad uh, for a financial institution, without risk, there's no, no reward. In other words, we get compensated for underwriting uh, insurance policies appropriately and absorbing and taking the risk from our clients. If I'm going to be a a member of the management team, I need to know the value of my analysis, how that analysis ties to the broader business objectives, and then marshal those resources. Now, you asked a logical question. How do I get that broader perspective? How do I make sure that I am capable of looking at a problem and not only seeing a nail, but also seeing other issues that may be be better addressed, not from a risk perspective, by another perspective? I think the key there is a, a couple of different things. I think first you have to ask questions. I think to think strategically, you have to have, I think there are two things that are absolutely necessary. First, you have to ask questions. Uh, what is your organization trying to achieve? Not just your technical analysis, but on a broader basis. What are the objectives? whether implied or explicit. How is your organization going about uh, achieving those objectives? Uh, and how does it differ from other companies, your competitors? So uh, are other fo- if you're focusing on underwriting, how are other companies focusing on underwriting? Or are they focusing on some other aspect of the business? Uh, if we do something differently, what are the logical trade-offs likely to be? And how can I min- minimize the risk of the, those trade-offs? 
these are questions that if you don't ask, you will never, you, nobody's going to feed you the answer to these questions. You have to ask the questions yourself and you have to go out and find the answers. And you have to think logically and connect the dots in some sense between your, your business strategy, the way the economics of the business are running, and then finally, uh, uh, how, uh, how, to, how different decisions that the company can make can impact it. That's how you get a bigger picture, by not trying to leverage out of your core technical area, but rather trying to ask bigger questions and may very well lead you outside of your comfort zone and outside of your space. Now, are these questions that you then go and ask um, other people and get their opinion on this one? I think so, and that's, that goes back to the benefit of asking questions. Technical experts, to my mind, one of the, the mistakes oftentimes made is that they don't ask questions. They don't feel secure enough to ask a question that they, they don't know the answer to already. They don't feel secure enough to put forth a hypothesis which may be refuted later on. And as a consequence, outside of their comfort zone, they may sit silent and be more passive. That's a, a sure way not to learn and not to develop. You, it's okay to ask questions. It is okay to uh, show an, an inquisitiveness and a desire to understand more about your business, and whether that's through uh, uh, asking a question or an asserting a hypothesis and testing it with your peers in different areas, that's perfectly okay. It is it is beneficial. It is to your own development good to ask those types of questions. I th- it's, it's interesting, Tom. I think um, from the experts that I have worked with in a variety of functions, I think you're absolutely right. This notion that I could ask a question and not know the answer to it, that I might look stupid or incompetent and I'm supposed to be the expert, is one of the big barriers. I assume by this you mean also that there is no book that you're going to read or no course that you're going to take or no kind of concrete way to go and develop this strategic breadth. It's a matter of engaging the business. Is that fair? I, uh, I firmly, firmly believe that. I think while uh, reading books and studying in a, in a quasi-academic uh, approach, clearly that w- may get you to the next level of certification on a technical basis, clearly. But in order to understand, business is not a textbook problem. Businesses uh, and our organizations and the, and the real world is a highly, highly complex problem, which uh, belies the ability to actually reduce it down to something which is tractable on anything more than a, an intuitive level. Yes, strong analysis is necessary. Yes, strong technical uh, skills will be a differentiating factor in terms of, for example, underwriting, underwriting, uh, understanding what your risk exposure is, etc. But the fact of the matter is that uh, the world is far more complex than we can currently model uh, even with a supercomputer. So I think by definition, there's no book, there's no textbook, there's no set of questions or test cases that I can go through that will teach me uh, what it means to be engaged in a business in the dynamics of a complex organization trying to come to a decision about strategy, balancing the complex interactions between individuals uh, uh, that are necessary to take that decision. I think you can only learn it by asking questions, and I also think you can learn it. Another thing that you can do is by stepping out of your comfort zone into 
areas that are related, but outside of your, your direct uh, core area into a concentric circle around your core. What do I mean by that? I mean that if I think about where g- great risk managers come from, great risk managers have typically spent some time in a related area. I'm not talking about being sales agents. I'm talking about rather closer to their core. For example, commercial underwriting, actually being the people that take the risk return decisions. Do they accept the loan? Do they accept the policy? And at what price? That gives them an inherent understanding of the commercial aspects of taking risk decisions. As another example, risk managers also can be very good coming from a finance or strategic planning or capital management function. Why? Because you get a broader understanding of how risk and capital fit into the overall economics of the business. So if you're thinking about developing a strategic orientation, never being afraid to ask questions is a very strong recommendation. And the second is step out of your comfort zone and try to get experience in related areas, not too distant from where you are. And I'll never become a sales agent, that is clear, but uh, I have been a, a chief financial officer before and I've run other functions as well, including capital management and treasury. And that has helped to round out my perspective in terms of uh, uh, the, the corporate strategy and the role that risk and capital plays in it. All right, fabulous, Tom. We're going to take a break at this point. I want to highlight that you said that there are three things that really are symptoms of a misfit of a person to a role. One is communication, two is leadership, three is strategic breadth. We've been talking about strategic breadth and the need to get broader exposure to adjacent areas and to ask questions that fundamentally get to what drives the business in one way or another. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's pick up with this notion of leadership. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. This is Wanda Wallace, your host. With me today is Tom Wilson, who's the Chief Risk Officer for the Allianz Group. And we have been talking about experts becoming more expert leaders. Tom has just been advocating the point of view that for an expert to become a strong expert leader, there are really three things that need to happen. One is they need strategic breadth, and we just spent a good bit of time talking about how to get that. Two is they need leadership, and three is they need communication. So, Tom, let's pick up with this notion of leadership. What do you mean that an expert needs to develop leadership? Okay, I wonder. That's a. Um, I, yeah, I had some time during the break to think about uh, leadership and what is it. What does it mean to me in the context of an expert? Clearly. I think that, or generically, good leadership is about engaging and motivating individuals towards a common objective. So it is setting out an objective and uh, making sure that the individuals are working towards a common uh, objective and motivated and engaged towards that. I think all leaders need this skill, but I would suggest that technical leaders in particular need three additional skills, which I just thought about the three D's of technical leadership. And the first one we talked about in the, in, during the first section, and that is technical leaders need to help define the analysis which needs to get done, which will have the most impact for the company. Uh, it is not enough to, to answer questions which are posed to you. It is helping the company to uh, focus your technical resources towards answering the right questions and having the strategic breath towards asking those right questions. So that first D is definition. I'd say the, the second D for me in terms of uh, a good technical leader is, in addition to motivating and engaging individuals, is delegate. Um, I think... In general, although most technical experts have been rewarded consistently by doing the analysis that's been posed to them and doing the analysis well, that is in some sense a career-limiting exercise. I think that if you do expect to touch bigger issues, more interesting issues, etc., you're going to have to learn how to delegate to free up your time to address the bigger issues, to get your arms around the biggest issues. Now, what are the issues around delegating? The first thing is you have to understand that it's in your own self-interest to delegate. Doing the work yourself is, is not in your own self-interest. I think the second thing is that you have to recognize that people are going to do things differently than you might do. They might approach a problem differently than you would. They might approach uh, or come to a conclusion that is slightly different than you do. That is okay. There are very rarely in complex business decisions black and white answers. You have to learn to 
Uh, number three, get the right people that you trust 95% of the time. Let them do things. Let them make mistakes occasionally. Take responsibility for their mistakes because through their, through their activities, through their leverage in some sense, you are allowed to focus on other more important issues. Track them, sure, but don't micromanage them. So delegate uh, understand that uh, you may not get the answers as if you had taken a, a sharp pencil and done it yourself. Get the best possible individuals to delegate to, making sure that they're going to take, uh, or your gut feeling says that they're going to take the right decisions 95% of the time. Uh, don't micromanage them. Uh, you don't micromanage great talent. Great talent doesn't develop if you micromanage them. You need to let them uh, be on their own. And finally, take advantage of the, uh, the leverage by then taking your time, your resources to thinking strategically, to defining the right questions, and helping your organization move forward. Your highest value added as a leader is not only getting the right people in the right positions, making sure that they are uh, capable of taking the right decisions, but also leveraging your capabilities more broadly into the organization. Okay. All right. So I talked to a lot of experts or non-experts for that matter trying to learn to delegate and they struggle with this constantly 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 first off they want me to tell them how I can do the mechanics of that but the problem comes down basically to I can do it faster than anybody else and they don't get it as accurately as I want it to be done and then my boss is yelling at me because there's a mistake in the report or the analysis or whatever what's your response to that my response is, uh, number one, uh, so you, you mentioned three things. You had mentioned faster, you had mentioned more accurate, and you had mentioned uh, uh, taking the risk of an imp- what you consider to be an imperfect job. First, with regards to fast, yes, on any specific activity, I may be faster. On the portfolio of activities that I need to get done, ranging from market risk, credit risk, underwriting risk, operational risk, reputational risk, etc. I can't do it all myself. So if I'm talking about any specific activity, fine, but on the breadth of activities that I need to cover, there's no way I can. I need the leverage. I absolutely, just to get my day job done, I need the leverage. With regards to accuracy, Look, I've been around the block long enough to know that there are, there are rarely black or white answers, that oftentimes there are gray zones and that different people will approach problems differently and come to different conclusions. I need to make sure that the people I put in place come to what I believe are reasonable conclusions 95% of the time, and when they don't, I need to support them. Right, Because by actually letting go and by supporting them and by giving them uh, their freedom, I do two things. Number one, I help to develop them. That's the third D in terms of uh, uh, expert leadership is development. I develop them, but I also, more importantly, allow myself to get leverage to focus on the issues that I want to champion during the next quarter, the next six months, etc. So it's okay to let go. It's okay that they're not going to do it exactly the way you do it. Guess what? Just exactly the way you do it may not always be uh, 100% correct. I have been wrong in the past. I'll probably be wrong in the future, infrequently, granted, but nonetheless, that's, that's okay. Have a little bit of humility. And then, as I mentioned, that the third thing you mentioned was... Uh, 
whether or not your boss is going to yell at you. Well, guess what? That happens all the time. Show me a happy boss 100% of the time, and I'll show you somebody that's uh, uh, either demented or on Prozac. There are no such things as happy bosses 100% of the time. That. Okay, so some of that has been getting a little bit of a tough skin to say, how big is this mistake? How much does it really cost us? Is it a major crisis? Do I need to get involved? How do I get involved? And so forth. Um, one of the things, it's actually interestingly a leader from Allianz that I've heard described, that they sort of, he sort of said, you know, I have a way of surveying my team, and there are five or six indicators that I have. So long as those five or six indicators are not bubbling up, I don't worry about it. When one of those five or six things kind of pop out of line, then I start to dive in a bit of more of the details. Do you have something parallel on how you work with your team? I, uh, I do, as a matter of fact, but I don't have five or six. I only have two. Uh, okay. I, my rules are, uh, first of all, uh, I give my team members uh, half an hour every week to a sure fix every week uh, to come to me. And I don't have an agenda, so I don't ask them, what did you do? I don't ask them anything. But it is their responsibility to come to me and say, these are the, op- these are the big issues, and this is where I need your guidance. And good, good people that I am going to develop for the, so that they can take the next step, they have to be able to recognize on their own what are the issues and where they need guidance and where not. That is a skill that they need to have. It doesn't help you to have highly intelligent technical people that can't understand what they don't know, where they need guidance, and whether or not the issue is going to be important in a broader context. They need to be sensitized to what is the broader context, and that's what they need to learn. So the first thing uh, in my experience is, uh, is to help my people develop by giving them an opportunity to identify the issues and come to me saying, where do I need guidance and where not? I guess the second thing is that if I see... If I see issues, one issue or two issues, again, I'm, I'm a boss. I'm not always going to be happy. That's okay. Uh, my boss will not always be happy with me. Uh, he's not on, uh, he's not, he or she will not always be on Prozac. Um, that is okay. But if it happens too often, I have to step back and analyze the situation and say, do I have, in fact, the right person for the right role? Is it something that I can help them to develop either an understanding of what's important for the organization, an identification or the ability to identify issues before they turn into bigger issues and understand what the, the, the culture of the company is, etc.? I need to step back after a series of events and say, do I have the right person in the right role and how can I help fix that, either by cha- helping the person or changing the role? Okay. All right. So then that means you will tolerate one or two issues, maybe not necessarily happily, but you will tolerate one or two issues. And then if it starts to happen on a more regular basis, it's time to take an intervention, either a development conversation, some other move, or uh, analyze if I've got the right person or the right place. All right, we're going to take a break again. Um, We've been talking with Tom Wilson, who's the Chief Risk Officer for the Alliance Group. We've been talking about how to encourage leaders who are experts to develop their leadership. And Tom's view is that there are three things that you really have to do to develop your leadership. One is to learn to define the question. 
Two is to learn to delegate. And three is to learn to develop your people with all the risks and challenges that are inherent in that. When we come back, we're going to talk about communication and the challenges for expert leaders in communication. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace. With me today is Tom Wilson, who's the Chief Risk Officer for the Alliance Group. We've been talking about expert leaders and what it is that expert leaders need to do to develop their capability to lead at a larger scale and to have impact on bigger problems. Tom's view is that expert leaders really do need to do three specific things. One is to learn to have strategic breadth. Two is to develop their leadership capability. And three is to improve their communication. So, Tom, we talked about the first two. Let's talk about the third. What is it you think expert leaders need to develop in terms of communication skills? Now, Wanda, there are, there are probably three things that I see on a regular basis, uh, working together with my with my experts in my teams, that I always try to help them to to see and to uh, to work on. Uh, 
the first thing is that technical experts tend to communicate like they think. And te- technical experts tend to think the way we're trained in university to think, and that is rather more inductively. So they go from A to B to C, and in a, uh, uh, in a, in a proof of a theorem or a, fu- a conclusion, they come to D. And when they communicate, they take their audience from A to B to C to D. Now, oftentimes that's because the elegance of their logic, the elegance of their proof is so compelling to them that they like to show how they got to D. What oftentimes is the case is that most people that are listening don't have the patience or the attention span to actually go through that. And I've actually found that with, with senior management, uh, you've got a window, a 30-second elevator ride window or a window of relatively short attention where you have to get your point across relatively quickly. So I tell my people to use, instead of an inductive logic, a deductive logic. Start with D. If they buy D because it makes common sense and they can, they can kind of see it, great. If they don't, then you may need to bring up points A, B, and C in order to do it. But lead with D. This approach has two benefits. Number one, it helps you to really clearly define what is the message that you want to get across to the audience because you're thinking about the message. You're not thinking about the process by which you get to D, A to B to C to D. Rather, more you're thinking about D and what is it that I need to say to communicate that clearly and in a very clear and concise manner relative to my audience. Uh, it also forces you to use Occam's razor because you're going to you're going to start with D and you're going to give them the three to five bullet points that actually drive it home. So the first advice that I would have in terms of communication uh, to many experts is don't communicate inductively, communicate uh, deductively. Lead with the assertion, the hypo- the, the statement, and then if necessary, backfill in the details. Uh, you naturally have to rely on good analysis to get to that point, but uh, lead with the statement. All right. So this is, I often find a lot of senior leaders trust your expertise. They have you in the role. They're not going to do the depth of the expertise. And what they need to know is I trust your logic, your proof, if you will. Tell me the conclusion. Does that resonate with your experience? It does, and in fact, if I think about the, the, the great people that have mentored me in the past, uh, what they have done is exactly what you've suggested. They will poke at my conclusion. They will poke at a couple of arguments, and as long as I am, I, I don't need to be a walking dictionary in terms of a, a phone book of, uh, of information, but I do have to have thought through the consequences. I do have to be able to tell the appropriate story in a logical manner, and once they get comfortable that this is a, a logical story that kind of hangs together or does hang together, they, they trust me, right, mm-hmm. as long as I can command that. So, in addition to making the assertion, make sure that you have the, 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 the logical story, the clarity of communication, and, the, and the, the ability to reach in for the details, but you don't lead with the details. That's not how you gain their trust. Leading with okay. details does, will not gain their trust. 
All right. So I think about another senior leader who says, you know, I'm going over financial numbers, for example, with any particular person. I want the ability to say that number is interesting. Take me through how you got to that number. And I want to dive into the details and then I want to pull right back up again to the bigger picture. So it's a bit of that sense of I want to poke a little bit at the logic, understand the conclusions, but I don't want to do that in every single case. All right. So communicate in a deductive fashion, starting with the conclusion. There are three things. You said that was the first one. What's the second one? I think the second one, uh, we've touched on it uh, earlier. Uh, Many experts are fundamentally insecure and engaging on any issue where they do not feel they have complete mastery of the subject. They have been trained in some sense to be the masters of uh, of their space. Uh, that's where they've, they've been, tra- and because they've been rewarded for that, that's their comfort zone. The fact of the matter is that uh, this insecurity is unfortunately, it prevents them from participating in the normal give and take of daily business. It prevents them from asking questions and from, by asking questions, learning. Uh, th- both of these, the inability to engage in give and take as well as the inability to ask questions, it ultimately is going to limit their ability to advance. Individuals need to get more comfort in terms of engaging on subjects where they are not necessarily the expert. Uh, that's the only way you're going to develop. It won't be through a textbook. Uh, textbooks can teach you more proofs and more theorems, but it can't teach you uh, the broader intricacies of a uh, of business. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Um, the... Two things I want to make in relation to this one. The first one is on our first show, John Murphy was talking about taking over as CEO for Bell Helicopter and the ability to lead part, make decisions in the organization when you don't have 100% of the information. And his, his statement was, you just have to ask a lot of dumb questions. And you keep asking sometimes very dumb questions, but it's amazing how it gets an expert to think about a problem in a different way. So that to back the same kind of parallel that you're just saying, that you have to be willing to ask questions that you don't have the answer to. The second comment I'll make is I routinely hear from senior management about people being at meetings and they're not contributing to the broader agenda. They're just contributing their particular specialty. And you're saying the same thing again, that willingness to engage in the daily business. Absolutely. I would uh, reinforce those messages. Okay. All right. And what's your third point on communication? Uh, the third point is uh, know your audience. I'm reminded of a, uh, a situation where I, I had a technical issue, and, and it was a technical issue, but it wasn't really. Uh, what I wanted to know is, should I be worried or not? And so I asked different ways, should I be worried about this or not? And I said, to tell me intuitively whether I should be uh, worried about this. And a very bright young guy was sitting across from me. He kept reaching for a pen and a piece of paper. And every time he reached for it, he was going to draw a differential equation. Now, I understand differential equations, but that's not what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for a mathematical proof of something. I was looking for the intuition. And finally, I said to him, I said, look, you pick up that pen and piece of paper again, and I'm going to kick you out of my office. Right? I want to know, should I be worried about this on intuitive? No hands, no pen, no paper, no differential equations. Needless to say, he got kicked out of my office. <laughs> the, the, the good part of this story, though, is a week later, he came back into my office and he said, I have the answer for you. 
and he sat there with his arms crossed without reaching for a piece of paper, and he had thought through what is the story, how to communicate it to me, etc. And I think for him, it was a valuable learning lesson that, quite frankly, you need to think about your audience. You need to think about what their concerns may be, what are the best ways to communicate uh, uh, the information so that it catches, so it's visceral, so that it really catches their attention and their understanding. Communication, uh, if you cannot tailor your message to your, your audience so that it is received, that's not communication. That's a one-way conversation, a one-way dialogue. Communicating is when your audience actually receives the message that you wanted to send. Okay. All right, fabulous. We're going to take a break again. So just to reiterate, your view, Tom, is that there are really three things that are critical for expert leaders to learn to do more effectively when they communicate. Number one is do the deductive communication. Start with a conclusion and backfill the logic if you need to. Number two is don't be afraid to ask a question to which you do not have 100% of the information. You've got to be able to participate in the daily business discussions, even if you don't know all the answers. And number three is you're tailoring constantly your story to the audience so that they will understand it, it will get their attention, and you'll know what their concerns are. When we come back, we're going to talk about conflict, contention, compromise, How do you do that as an expert leader when you're kind of constantly pushed by the business to make a decision that wouldn't necessarily be what you wanted to do? And we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace, and with me today is Tom Wilson, who's the Chief Risk Officer for the Allianz Group. We've been talking about expert leaders and what they need to develop. 
The view has been that there are really three critical skills that expert leaders need to pay attention to. One is to develop strategic breadth. Two is to improve the way they lead, partly by how they delegate and some other issues. And three is to change the way they communicate so that it is a more effective pattern with the business. So in this last component, Tom, I want to turn to some of the challenges that I often hear. Um, So you've done the analysis, you've thought about the risk, you know about the implications, you've done as much homework as you can in terms of understanding your audience, and the pushback comes from the business or from somebody else in another function. And there's that sense of how much do I actually compromise Or, more importantly, how do I handle the conflict that's now in the room? So, what's your advice on those issues? Okay, I think uh, I would have two pieces of advice. Um, The the first piece of advice is that you have to recognize that, uh, or, look, my belief is that uh, organizations, companies represent a very complex system, um, which generally attempt to come to the right solution. the problem is that in most instances, there is no black or white answer. Uh, a lot of what can be called uh, politics or negotiation or coming to the right decisions or pressure points, etc., can be actually considered a, a complex and organic process for the organization to come to the right solution in the face of uncertainties and emergent objectives. It's not always clear what the objectives are, and you're helping to define the objectives. You're helping to define the uncertainty. You're helping to define a lot of things as you're discussing. So the first piece of advice is understand that there is no black or white solution. Communicate, negotiate, compromise, and have a clear view what battles are worth fighting in order to win the war and what not. This is all part of an organic process. Now that's a generic answer. I, as a chief risk officer, I have a second Role And that second role is I believe I have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders and to our policyholders. This is more than just recognizing gray zones where uh, answers uh, could lie within a reasonable bandwidth. Occasionally, I may have to take a stand. I may have to... Uh, I may have to come to a conclusion which is not based on negotiating compromise. I may have to take a stand where I stand up for the interests of the company, the shareholders, and the, and the customers. This, fortunately, is not often. What are my advice, my second piece of advice, in addition to recognizing uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, that there are no uh, right or wrong answers, but to recognize when to, what battles to fight and which, uh, in order to win the war. Um, the second piece of advice is, at the end of the day, I know I have to wake up with myself every morning. And that's the one thing that's absolutely certain. I have to look in the mirror and I have to uh, look at myself in the mirror for the re- every day for the rest of my life. And I need to make sure that I am proud about what I've done uh, and how I've done it. And as a consequence, I would, rather, I would rather have the ability to wake up every morning for the rest of my life and be proud in what I've done in the interest of my job rather than any possible short-term benefit which might come from compromising my principles. Now, like I said, fortunately, I don't get asked, I don't get tempted too often on this, but I think 
in order to manage uh, uh, conflict, to manage uh, complex situations, you have to recognize that business is inherently complex. There aren't limited right or wrong answers, but when there are, when there is an issue that you need to stand up for, then you need to stand up for it because at the end of the day, it's you that has to live with yourself for the rest of your life. Okay, so I like that notion that there are some limits beyond which you shouldn't go because then you have compromised too much, you have given away too much, and as you say, you can't look at yourself in the mirror. You're not proud of what you've done. I find, though, a lot, so notwithstanding that, um, I find a lot of experts have trouble seeing the gray. You know, you're a bit trained to see the black and white, to come to the definitive Mm -hmm. conclusion, the proof, if you will. And it's hard to develop judgment about what really should be black and white and what really is gray. Any any advice on how to develop that judgment? I would say uh, humility and experience. As I mentioned a couple of times, I am not uh, often wrong, uh, but I remember the times when I was, uh, and quite frankly, it taught me humility. Uh, there are things that, uh, uh, yes, through the, the most logical course of uh, analysis would have led me to one conclusion that turned out to be inaccurate. So just recognize that uh, uh, even though you may have the most logical uh, analysis, the, the best database, etc., it's not always the case that your conclusions are going to be correct. There's a second thing, and that is binary solutions are, are binary solutions may be for uh, may be appropriate when you need to put a rocket specifically on uh, on a single dime sized spot in the moon. However, business is rarely uh, that finely tuned, right? The objectives are probably less clear. They are emergent as through the discussions. You oftentimes learn what are the objectives of the organization, what types of trade-offs in terms of revenues versus operating profit versus risk and capital are you willing to take. It's not always clear. The problem is not always as clear as uh, let's put this rocket on that dime-sized place on the moon in exactly three months from now. Um, that's why I get I, I, I get the ability to talk, and also the finally the final one is understand which battles you need to fight in order to win the war. Okay, that's interesting. Which battles to fight? So, in other words, we're coming right back to where you started and to where we started at the very beginning of the segment. The notion that it is a bit of communication. We're back to that listening and to letting the objectives not be black and white but to kind of emerge in the process. It's almost like we're back to defining the question and learning that your job is not having the answer, but in raising the right question. I think you're saying the same thing here about the objectives kind of emerging with time. Is that that reasonable? I think it is. I think uh, very rarely are we presented with problems for which there is only one answer. I think in business that's, that's rare. Okay. All right. So we have this notion that you want to be sure you understand what your basic um, non-compromisable values, if you will, or principles, if you will, that you can live with yourself. And two is to recognize that there's very few black and whites, particularly in business, and that the process for getting to the conclusion is often complex, messy, slow sometimes, quite organic, and issues are going to emerge as you go. All right, let me um, wrap up here. Tom, this has been fabulous listening to your point of view. For people who just joined us, I want to comment that the point of view for developing expert leadership is strategic breadth, 
leadership and delegation, improve communication and understanding the conflicts and challenges and how to navigate them. I want to remind you again that Tom has a book that's forthcoming with from John Wiley called Value and Capital Management. And say, Tom, thank you very much for joining us today. Wanda, it was a pleasure and thank you very much for the invitation. My pleasure. Next week, we're going to be talking with two of my favorite coaches, and we're going to be focusing on how can a coach help you? What are the key challenges that coaching is good for? How do you think about selecting a coach in the process? And what kind of problems do we often see people approach us with from a coaching point of view? So join us next week. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.